This podcast exists for entertainment purposes only. Before making any investment decisions, please contact your financial advisor. Welcome back to Man vs. Market, the podcast where we analyze everything macroeconomic and stock market related in order to create strategies that help you have the best chance of beating the market. Before we get started, I want to apologize for two things that are going to be messing with the audio. First, I am not at my home studio and don't have access to my recording equipment, so I am not using the best equipment available. And second, I am super under the weather and my voice definitely sounds like I'm sick, but I considered actually skipping this episode just because of how I'm feeling. But there is just way too much that has taken place over the last week, and I had to get this episode out before the week actually started. But there is way too much to cover today, so let's just jump right into the economic news that we should be aware of and some of its implications on the broader market. First and foremost, the consumer price index for the month of July was released on Wednesday and it was much better than anticipated. Inflation has increased by 8.5% over the previous year compared to the 8.7% that was initially expected. This is well below the 9.1% level for the month of June and is the first indicator that prices are starting to come down around the board. The largest contributor to this decline was energy prices, which came down rather sharply in the month of July. One thing that has remained very strong though is rents that tend to be a rather sticky price, meaning that they don't to change very frequently. Rents are pretty unmoved for the month of July. The producer price index also rose 9.8% in the month of July, which is the slowest since October of last year, and is down from 11.3% that we saw earlier in the summer. Another one of the major reasons that we've seen such a decline in both prices for the consumer and the producer is the ever-easing global supply chain. According to the global supply chain pressure index, we are down to a reading of about 1.8 or so, all the way down from a reading of about 4.2. And for reference, the higher this level is, typically the higher pressures are on the supply chain. So according to this chart, we have seen global supply chain pressures ease substantially over the last couple of months. If we want to take a look at the rate hike side of things, things have changed a little bit since the last time we updated on this, but the markets are now anticipating a 125 basis point upside by the end of the year. This would put the federal funds rate at about 35 to 3.75%, I believe, which is probably as high as the Fed is willing to go. So the markets are now anticipating a 50 basis point hike in September, a 50 basis point hike in November, and a 25 basis point hike in December. Something else to be aware of is the Fed balance sheet reduction program that is going to be taking place later in this year. This program is going to put upwards pressure on bond yields, which may drive liquidity out of asset markets like stocks and other equities. This is something we will continually update on and is not particularly relevant at this current moment, but it will be something to watch as we head into the winter months. Also, some new data I wanted to share. Markets tend to do very well in the 6 months to 12 months after the midterm elections. And surprisingly enough, it doesn't actually matter which party is in control. According to Edward Jones, there is a four-year cycle that we tend to go on for the markets. And usually, the worst six-month period of the entire four-year cycle is the six months leading up to the midterm elections. If this is actually true, we are already three months through that six-month period and have only another three months to go until the midterms. So expect a lot of volatility as we lead up into that, but the 12 months following the midterms should be bullish if this trend is to stay the same. Taking a quick look at the earnings season, the final results are in as the vast majority of companies have reported, and it looks like energy stocks 
absolutely carried this earnings season. If we include energy stocks, the S&P 500 saw earnings increase by 6.7%, and if we take energy stocks out of the equation, they have declined by 3.7%. This is after energy showed a 200 plus percentage increase in earnings over the last year. The volatility index, otherwise known as the VIX, falls another 8% as the inflationary pressures seem to be phasing out of the market. The VIX is now down 43% from the highs we saw in June, and this actually is right about when we sold our volatility index position. Typically, the VIX moves upwards when it anticipates higher volatility in the future, and downwards when it anticipates less volatility. Now that the market seems a little bit more confident as inflation continues to be priced out, we are seeing anticipated volatility declining dramatically. But my verdict remains the same. I think we are going to see increased volatility going into the end of the year, and we should treat this as a buying opportunity, at least on the volatility side. Let's now take some time to dive into the charts a little bit and just talk about this last rally. And boy, there is a lot to talk about here. First, the indices had an absolutely wild week. The S&P 500 finished up 3.3%, the Dow Jones up 3%, and the Nasdaq up 3.1%. Stocks have now finished green for four weeks in a row. This is the longest green streak since November of 2021. In fact, 90% of stocks are above their 50-day moving average from basically 0% in mid-June, meaning that the bulls are in absolute control over the midterm. Now, if you remember last week, I was actually expecting a red week. I thought the CPI data was going to come in about as expected or maybe even slightly worse. And after Monday and Tuesday, I was feeling pretty good about that prediction. We started the week out red on both Monday and Tuesday, and we actually rejected sharply off the 200-day moving average on the daily chart. But then the CPI report came out and was way better than any analyst would have predicted. On the last episode, I talked about the eight days of chop theory that we also saw play out back in June at similar levels. Basically what happened this time and last time is we saw eight straight days of chopping price action basically in a, in a very small congested range before finally seeing this large breakout on the ninth day. So this theory did play out correctly as the ninth day on Wednesday was a pretty wild move. And we actually broke out of this upwards channel that was acting as a form of resistance. We pushed above that 200-day moving average, and we actually saw it act as minor support on Wednesday. This is another big win for the bulls. They are going to be able to expect that this moving average will probably act as light resistance going forwards. Now, more importantly for the bulls, we closed above 417, which signals a new uptrend, which was a relative high we saw back in June, and we closed above that 432.40, 61.8% Fibonacci level. Again, the 61.8% Fibonacci level is one of the strongest levels to watch, and typically will act as support or resistance depending on the relative strength of the market. Now, this brings me right to the topic of the day. Last week, we talked about how bearish the charts were and how bearish everything else was starting to look. There were bearish divergences in many time frames. This is when we're seeing higher highs in the price and lower highs in an oscillator, which is a pretty bearish signal. Stagnant price action was also hinting that buyers were starting to get tired and the continuous stream of bad news should have put selling pressure on the market. This is a good time for me to reinstate the concept that technical analysis is not a science. It is merely a means of using probabilities to try to make predictions on what the future relationships between buyers and sellers will entail. Nothing more, nothing less. It is important to remember that this is all probability-based. After the data on Wednesday was less bad than expected, all of these indicators were invalidated. 
So even though we were very strong in our conviction of a downside move, and the markets, the technicals, the fundamentals, the big institutions, and the retail traders were all agreeing with us on this verdict. It was all invalidated once we saw a small beat of the CPI. So even small fundamental changes in the macro economy will outweigh any technical signal, no matter how strong it is. So the real question is, why has this big up move taken place? We have rallied almost 18% from the lows, and despite the seemingly worse economic conditions and the entering into of a technical recession, we are seeing a rally that looks very similar to the rallies in both 2018 and 2020, where there looked to be almost no selling pressure for an extended period of time, despite all of the outside data looking very bearish. Well, there's five main reasons that I could come up through my research on why we're seeing this rally. Number one, the market was wildly oversold before this rally took place. In fact, it was the most oversold we had seen in some regards since the March 2020 COVID drop. Number two, the earnings expectations for this last major earnings season were far too pessimistic. Too many traders were betting on big downside moves, and when the results came back as less bad than anticipated, that was enough for the market to be overly optimistic on future performances. So again, the results weren't great, but they were much better than expected. Number three, the obvious one here, but signs of inflation coming down. One reading does not equal a trend, and we are going to need to see several months in a row of declining CPI in order to actually believe that we have seen the peak for inflation, something that I don't think we've quite seen yet. But regardless of what I think, the market thinks that we have topped out and are now looking towards a future where we can price inflation out of the market. Number four, the Fed is becoming much more dovish given the recent statements on data-driven hikes. Now that CPI is looking to come down, Jerome Powell has an excuse to hike rates less than initially planned. Just a week ago, the market was anticipating another 75 basis point hike in September. This has again fallen all the way to just 50 basis points after the CPI reading alone. And number five, the short sentiment at the time was unbelievably high almost record high, something we really haven't seen since March of 2020. As we began to rally, many institutions and retail traders that were short on the market were forced to cover their positions, thus buying back into the market and squeezing the market higher. This is a similar effect to what we saw with some of the meme stocks back in 2020 and 2021. There is so much short selling on the market that once it started rallying just a little bit, so many shorts were forced to cover and thus pushed the market up further. This actually goes in line with the maximum pain theory. This basically states that whatever level is going to hurt the most option buyers is likely going to be the level that we end at. And because most of the market was short, we ended up rallying to the other side. Now, with all of this being said, there is still an active bearish divergence on the 65 minute chart. Now, I will not be betting against this monster trend, but at least in the short term, there does look to be some selling. And I will probably be playing the short side at least for the first couple of days next week. If the bears really want to get some momentum going, they are going to have to break through a couple of key levels, with the first, of course, being that 423.40 Fibonacci level that is likely to act as resistance, and then they also need to reclaim the downside on that 200-day moving average. And with all of this being said, I don't think that we've seen the end of this downtrend. I think there's going to be more downside, mostly going in line with my theory that inflation hasn't peaked. Do I think we're going to see another 20, 30, 40% downside? No, I don't think we're going to see that much more downside. In fact, at this point, I don't think we're even really going to see new lower lows, with 362 being the low setback in June, but it is very likely that at least going up into the midterms, I really think we're going to see at least some form of a pullback. Thank you for listening to this episode of Man vs. Market. Again, I apologize for the varying quality of the audio. 
but I thought it was more important to create an episode this week rather than not, given all of the important data that has come out. If you learned anything today, please also consider sharing it with a friend who may also benefit from something like this, in order to help me get this podcast out to as many people as possible. All right, I'll talk to you guys next week.